All right, welcome to Guy's Garage. This is a show about everything that guys love. My name is Guy Andrews, and this show today is actually brought to you by RDC Clinical. Now, that's a research, a clinical research company, and they want you to come and sign up to some of their trials. You can uh, do trials for anything uh, from uh, exercise performance, uh, allergies, uh, hair loss, um, which would be a good one for me to actually sign up to. But uh, jump onto rdcclinical.com.au and register your interest, and uh, you can have a look at some of the trials they're doing. Lots of great perks. You can get you know body scans and all sorts of things. Uh, through the trials depending on which one you sign up to and uh, yeah you can help people as well as yourself so get onto it rdcclinical.com.au now today's uh, guest is a man who's had a 30-year career in the navy as a clearance diver uh, he's found his way into movies and the movie business as military consultant uh, weapons handler uh, in movies like Mad Max Fury Road and Suicide Squad, but I think probably the his best claim to fame is that he's been punched in the nose by Charlize Theron. John Isles, welcome. Thank you very much, Guy. It's very uh, very nice of you to invite me here. Yes, Charlize and punching me in the nose, but uh, it was scripted, so let's let's just leave it at that. <laughs> well, we might get on to Charlize a little later. What I'm keen to know a bit more about is your early career in the Navy. Can you? You give us a little bit of background on, on, on that career and then we'll, we'll work our way into the movie stuff a little later. Sure. I, I actually started uh, at the end of my schooling in year 12. I was, I was a very physical young lad who wanted to be a fighter pilot in the, in the Air Force, in actual fact. I was doing taekwondo at the time. It was a big part of my life, training and competing. Uh, and I became a black belt in my final year of school. So I wanted something that was physical and something that was, you know, enabled me to be out there and, and doing those things. Uh, I went to the Air Force. They turned around and said, sorry, John, we'd like to have you, but you're colorblind. Oh. So that kind of put a little bit of a, 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 you know, a spanner in the works. Did you know this? I, did, I didn't know that and I didn't realise and, and, and in hindsight when I got tested uh, further two years later when I had joined the Navy, uh, they actually turned around and said, no, 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 you've got great colour perception. So the doctor read the chart wrong, little thing called uh-huh. an Ish- Ishihara test, little number right. dots people have done So the, the, the Air Force doctor read the chart wrong? It was the. It really was an ADF recruiting centre, and you right. go and see a person there, and they, you know, they talk you into, please come and do this, do yeah. that. Yeah. It's like any business they want. And so you, you've missed that opportunity with the Air Force, and you've wound up with the Navy. Wound up with the Navy. Uh, ended up becoming a clearance diver. That happened in 1988. Right. Uh, which is essentially a frogman, as people know. Yeah. That. So in Australia, they call it frogman or clearance diver. Um, is there? Is it? Related to like an, you know the, the movie hype is always around the Navy SEALs. Is it? What's the, the comparison there? So in in America they have so many people in their defence force they can be very specialised. SEALs sea air and land, so they do the subsurface tactics, the on on, on top of the surface tactics and on land. So there you go. I learnt something already. Sea air and land. See, yes. I just thought it was a seal because they're in the water. Well, that works as well, and they're called toads as well, and frogs, and all sorts of other names. Um, so they have a very tactical background, and they they work all you know all those three different areas: the air and land. Um, whereas a clearance diver, essentially, our core skill is diving, uh, and we will dive scuba air, mixed gas sets, rebreather, oxygen rebreathers, surface supplied, and our one of the other primary tasks in the fact that that's that's our delivery vehicle, the actual diving set. 
the task is to disarm ordnance subsurface or bring it to the surface and then disarm the so ordnance. bombs? Bombs. So we're bomb disposal technicians as well as being divers. Uh, so a, a Navy SEAL is, is more uh, offensive versus you guys are more like, you know, a different role? That's right. They, they, have a, they have a more what we call direct action type t- just task where they go in, they have an assault or they're, you know, protecting something, force protection. Whereas our role atypically does involve the gunfighting aspects and we have specialist sections of the clearance diving branch that actually go off and do selection and become part of TAG East, which is a tactical assault group. Then they become gunfighters. Right. So the Army trains them and they're under the control of Army under special forces and they go and do their specialist counter-terrorism So 88, how duties. old are you when you got into the diving? So I was about 20 years old when I, when I mm. became a diver uh, and then... And I know through our, we've known each other for a while, we'll get into how, um, but you did do a stint with the SAS as well? Correct, yes. So I became a diver in 88 and then in 89 a good friend of mine uh, came back from the SAS now, back in those days... Can you tell the viewers what SAS means? So I, know, I know I've got my perception, but I want to ask the experts. So SAS just stands for Special Air Service Regiment. It's actually SASR. So, um, and it is the elite special forces unit of the Australian Army. So, uh, and, and essentially, it's just another Army task. It just has a higher selection criteria. Right. Um, That's the Carter course or Carter. The, the Carter course, yeah, which is the selection the, course. The intake course. Yeah, and my, my one was some 30-odd days long, um, and it's tough. 30 days for a selection. It's it's tough. So how know. many guys go into a selection? And like, What kind of guys get picked to go into that selection? Well, picking isn't so much the case. You, you have to be sponsored, if you like. So your, your supervisor has to say, yes, we think you're good enough to go and do this. Um, there are certain physical sponsor would be your um, your boss, boss yeah, whoever your boss is, the sergeant or, or yeah. the PO or whoever, whichever service you come from. Now, now the special service uh, Carter is open to all services, so right. Air Force, Navy, and Army. Uh, their um, idea is that we will select the people that we want to train at a base level, so we'll pick them. And then we'll build them to what we want a soldier to be. They've got a bit of a reputation of being the the elite sort of special force. Definitely, yeah. They are at the top end of our our, um, special forces. Um, We have various. We have the commando unit. We have SASR. We have incident response regiment, which is, you know, intelligence and, again, bomb disposal, chemical, biological, that sort of stuff. tell me a bit about the day in the life of one. I want to hear about a bomb disposal job and I want to hear about a day in the life of an SAS or a, a Navy diver. All right, so let's, why don't we do it chronologically? So I became a gunfighter, if you like, or an operator as we call them, uh, in 1990, and I was part of the counterterrorism team at SASR, which is in Western Australia, um, as a clearance diver. So we go over, we do the selection course, we get selected, and then we do all the training to become a counter-terrorist operator. So it's about two years of your life Mm. just to go, yes, you can go and work there. Now that job atypically revolves around shooting and or the specialist skills. So you'll shoot three days a week, close quarters battle, so that'll either be on a range or in a kill house, as as people know a kill house to be, a 360-degree um, range that you could shoot the ceilings and the walls and everything else, all live ammunition. And then two other days out of the week, it'll either be your specialist skill. And the specialist skill might be roping and rappelling out of helicopters 
or it might be explosive entry, or it might be fast driving. Just on depending on the, on the qualifications you have, those skills would be taught on an atypical week. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, it's sort of like the the um, well, is it the the action man dream, or is it what's a discipline like in, in the uh, military? Is it the action man dream? It, it's it is a lifestyle that you have to you have to live as such. So you can't sort of go, oh, I'm just going to go to work and then I can have. It's not my. like the family man job. No, not really, because because you are committed to it. It's a, as we were explained, it's a daily renewable contract. If you're not good enough on day three, see ya. If yeah. you're good enough for two right. months, but then you're not good enough for two months and one day, see yeah. ya. And how does that affect you? You know, when you go into the army, do you, I don't even know how it works. Do you sign up for a certain stint? So what will happen is that, especially for the, the Navy guys that did it uh, uh, back in the 90s, we had to do one year. So essentially we're, we were signing up for a year of training to do one year, yeah. and then we would go back into rotation as a clearance diver. Now that's more to do with the Navy wanting their people back and not right. losing them to Army. Um, oh, so you sign up for one year with SAS. That's right. You yeah. sign up for one year, and then... After that, you can go back and work in the Navy again, and right. then you can elect to go back. So on that daily renewable contract, if they go, oh, okay, John's out today, he's failed, just send you back to you just where go back you, to where being you came a, from. a clearance diver. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that very rarely happened because if so you go through all that process in the SAS, your stint. So my stint in the SAS in, in the nineties was three years, right. but then somebody decided to fly an aircraft into a into a building. Oh, yeah. Right. And so, so we're talking about twenty eleven then. Uh, so the government decided, well, you know, we've got a counterterrorism unit on the west coast. We need to build one on the east coast. So that was a bit of a reaction to that whole nine uh, eleven. Correct. Yeah, the we strengthened up our anti-terrorism that's right, stance yeah. in Australia. So, you know, what was that like going working through that period? Essentially, what happened was um, I got a call like on a Sunday afternoon and said, "By the way, you're going back to SASR to do another close quarters battle course." Right. I was like, "Hang on a minute, I'm already qualified. Why am I going back there?" Which you know, as a person who's already trained in something, you're like, "How come we need to go back?" Well, this had all happened. The government said, no, 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 we need to build this capability. You're already trained back in the 90s. We want to boff you up to the new way that we do business, mm. and then we're going to use you as a team commander. So they had a grand plan of all right. the old and bolds to make them the team commander for a particular section of the yeah. East Coast CT side, and that's what happened. I went there and ended up doing seven years in the East Coast as a counterterrorism operator. So. Right. So counterterrorism training, you know, I know there was some pretty cool stuff that you've shown me over the years. What? It, What's that sort it of is stuff big time? boys toys. I mean, essentially, it was the same sort of stuff we did in the early '90s for when I was at SASR. The toys got better, you know, the technology got better. Um, you know, you again an atypical week of shooting and rope and blowing and driving fast cars, and then you do a major exercise and you might be jumping out of a C-130 mm-hmm. and meeting a submarine somewhere. So it's James Bond. So jumping out of a C-130. What is a C-130? Okay, so a C-130 is a Hercules aircraft, which is our four prop transport so like plane. Parachuting out of that. Parachute out of that. Follow some zodiacs down. Meet up with the zodiacs and then. Zodiac off to a submarine, an RV with a submarine. So it's all very James Bondy. But in, yeah. the, in at the end of the day, it's a couple of transport systems: mm. plane, parachute, boat, submarine. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool, though. Yeah. Look, I've got, I've got to say, one of the most interesting things I ever did was at SASR was was a thing called sub swimmer release, which is where you you know you're in and out of a submarine to be covert to go somewhere, and then when you've done the job, how do you get picked up by a submarine when it's subsurface? Oh, yeah. well, that's pretty easy. You just split yourselves in two major groups and put a rope between it and let the periscope 
grab you and then you duck dive down onto the submarine. So it's pretty amazing to do that in the so middle of the ocean. Let's go through this. So you're in the water <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. You've got a submarine that's under the surface Correct. trying to not be detected. Yep. And they've got the periscope up. Yep. And yep. you have a rope between your two groups. Correct. And you hang onto the rope. And you hang onto the rope. So I can't imagine a massive submarine would sl- be able to slow down yes. too much. There. So it can, without going into numbers, it can be a little bit quicker than what you can swim. How, um, how like a periscope on a, on a submarine? Yes. Like you, how? What's the diameter of that thing? So at the base, it's bigger, obviously, than, than, than the surface. But at the surface, it's like the size of a flagpole. Yeah, okay. So that's protruding out of the water. We can see that. It's giving us a little flash with the light. So you got to physically make sure you get yourself across the a rope across. No, it it doesn't. The submarine knows where we are because we have a certain communication Isn't that system. Accurate. Yes. Oh, yes. So you got Absolutely. one group, one group, and they can pick the difference between the two, two groups, groups enough to split it through. To down split the it with the with the periscope. That's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive for a sub commander. So to once do that. that hooks around, so obviously. You're all hanging on. Are you, are you connected? No. Because if you get no. something goes wrong, you don't really want to be connected. Bye-bye. Right? So yeah. you're physically hanging on. That's right. You physically hang on, and then there are other lines on the submarine. So you trail behind the submarine, you duck dive down, get on those lines, pull yourself down to the sub, and then get inboard on the sub. So what happens you get to the surface of the submarine, and then, then you got to find where you get inside the submarine. So That's there's right. a, obviously there's a room that becomes like, a dry room like suck the pump it full air so so without being into too much detail okay i like this you can't get into too much detail without getting into too much detail you can find yourself a place on the submarine that's still in ambient water but not in the current stream right so you can get out of the current stream and you're on a diving system but you're traveling with the sub so it's like a like eddy almost like it's out of the current yeah you're just out of the current and you're hiding away from out of the current so the submarine can then speed up and get out of danger's way and then come to the surface and we can oh so you don't get into this so like they don't sort of go into a like a room and pump the air out and modern day submarines the ones that we have today have got capabilities to able what we call lock in, lock out, which yeah. you know yeah, our, our, our American and, and nuclear cousins have had for many many years. But when you're talking about a small submarine, which is what our subs are, they're quite small. So um, how fast did this enough. pickup happen at? Oh, so the pickups, the pickups not super quick, but if you but you know if like you let go of the rope, yeah, you're gone. But a human swims it like flat out. You'd be lucky to swim it. Well, you'd be all geared up, so you'd be lucky to move. Like I know, like a. An Olympic level swimmer might travel at five kilometres an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a tiny, maybe about that for a short stint, like with all your gear on, even with fins. So it's going to be a big, got to be a differential in speed. Oh, there is. Yeah, as soon so as you, just get, as soon like, as you get on, you're hanging on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Classic. There's a reason. There's a physical requirement. parameter and requirement to go yeah, work in those areas. Yeah, right. <laughs> So let's let's talk a little bit more. I've got some. You've got some slides you bought along. I have. I don't know the order, but. Um, I did want to have a look at um, a couple of you with your military gear on. Here you go. So we'll be able to bring them up on the screen. So there will be some people that will listen to this at some point on iTunes and they won't be able to see it, but you can see it on, on um, YouTube. So we'll be able to have a look at these images here. John, this is you. Look at you. and You, you look like that. What's that movie, the military movie up there? 
Uh, I look like a doll. That's what I look like. Look at you. And what is yeah. this? This is um, the fast rope onto a uh, aircraft carrier there. The so chopper? that one there on the left hand side, we're looking at a Seahawk helicopter with a fast rope team for what we called EBC, which is enhanced boarding capability. We went to the Gulf of Aden and we went and uh, said, uh, as we called them, meet and greets with the pirates. Oh yeah. So we would go along and and say, "G'day, fellas, how you going? We're coming aboard." Um, and we would see what was on, on the vessels, uh, make sure that there was nothing uh, untoward happening. So you'd fast rope out of a chopper onto a that pirate was, vessel? That's one of the options you yep. can have. So if the sea state's too big or we want to do a very quick infiltration, then we yep. use a helicopter infill. Um, if the sea state allows, we would just then get into ribs and uh, and board via the normal ship to ship. Yeah, right. Any interesting climb, scenarios climb in that? Uh, I mean, they're always very interesting. I mean, the sea state and the actual physicality of what you're doing is just interesting. You know, we yeah. had sea state days of sea state three and four, which means anywhere up to sort of three and a half metres of swell. Right. Uh, you're in a tiny little zodiac that's only five metres long yeah. and you're boarding something that's 50 metres long and, and opposing swells and now you've got and these boats in close proximity. some sort of resistance. Potent, you know. And we've always got to, uh, you know, have uh, self-protection. So we've got to be yeah. ready, yeah. postured yeah. to act. Yeah. Yet we, in that particular job role, we couldn't be seen to be aggressive. So you can't be right. charging up to a boat with guns drawn and all the movie stuff. Because, yeah. again, it's reality. It's the not the movies. Yeah, it's yeah. more about – it's a policing action ready mm. to be able to defend if something mm. nasty happens. Yeah. And this shot here with all the diving gear on a, a big gun on the water level there. So that was that's actually a PR shot because obviously it's well lit. Yes, we we don't like that when we're actually doing it for real. And the fact that he's got his face mask on, which is something we never do on right. the surface. Okay. Yeah, but uh, well, that's probably an, a good segue <laughs> because we, I mean, you've got some amazing like real life experiences with military and all this stuff, and obviously you've found your way at some point in your career into the movie business. Yes. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that because there's some really good stories and you tell some funny stuff about like exactly that photo where you see you've got the, the goggles on, diving goggles on a gun and you th that doesn't happen in reality. Mm -hmm. um, I love hearing those stories about, oh, like I've been to the movies, so for the listeners, I've been to the movies with John because we've been on, on movies together and, and he's always saying, oh, that guy's got his elbow up too far, it's going to get shot off and, you know, he's always holding the gun wrong, you know, it's like going to a dance movie with my wife, oh, that's not proper dancing movies because he's a dancer. Yeah, well, yeah. Or it's like when I watched Cool and Get a Gold, uh, the surf life-saving movie, you know, being a surf life-saver and I go, oh, that guy's not really paddling that surf ski, look at his technique, it's terrible. So <laughs> you probably get a lot of that when you watch, because every movie's got guns and cops that's and robbers right, sort of yeah. just about. Yep, I suppose what you've got to remember is that when, when I went from my career in the military to the career in the movies, yes, some of the skill sets are transferable, but you've got to remember you're going from reality where worst case scenario is people die to, oh, this is entertainment. So worst case scenario is someone gets upset and there's a tear. Yeah. You know, so... So there is a massive so there must, difference between must be, the two. So tell me, just before we get into some movie stories, yes. when you see one of your mates get hurt in action, real action, and I know you have, and then you see an actor having a sook about their lunch is late, how do you deal with that shit? Well, I, I, I think you've got to... And in my world, we, we, we call it the switch. You've got to have work switch and then switch it off and then become dad father husband you know when you go home so you can't have work john go home 
mm. which, you know, all the psychologists are going, oh, my God, split personality. But you've got to do it. You've mm. actually got to have work mode where you're professional and, you know, one of you guys gets hit. The first thing you're thinking about is where'd the, where'd the bullet come from or where'd the threat come from, right, not yeah. actually the person yeah. who's injured. Yeah, because you got to – You might be screaming and yelling and you're going, oh, good airway. Yeah, like, yeah. but that's your basic – and that's your training is yeah. deal with the problem first and then if we can, let's get some medical aid. if you do aid. a first aid course, you've got to work out where the danger comes from. It's the first thing you need to exactly. do. Exactly. And it's yeah. the same for us because yeah. potentially you're going to help someone and then become the injury yourself. Yeah. You'll move another person. So, yeah. But, you know, that whole um, uh, actor and, and especially elite actors and, 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 you know, people who are very uh, precious or anything else, you've just got to laugh about it. You've just got to turn around and go, okay, that's a personality type. I just want to go back to that switching off thing because, um, I mean, a lot of my push with Guys Garage is to sort of help blokes get through everyday life and mm-hmm. mental stress and all that. Um, do you think a lot of people find it difficult to switch off and they carry a lot of their work? You know, with mobile phones the way they are, like I'm, I'm, I'm bad for it. I'm always on my emails or I'm always checking something. Mm. You never switch off so you know how do you switch off from something so full on like that to I think that it, it comes down to um, what can you affect so in my world you go it's cause and effect here if I do this it has this effect if that person does that it has this effect worrying about something doesn't give you an effect it's just worry mm. so we try not to worry about things that we can't influence so if I can influence something that's great I can mould it and then it gets, gets to a point where you can't influence it anymore, don't worry about it because the worry doesn't help you. It just causes more angst. Mm. And then your brain can't work. Yeah, it's a lot of source of a lot of people's anxiety. Oh, I think people hang on to a lot of stuff. And uh, um, the ability to let it wash over you is, is gold. It doesn't mean you have to forget it, mm. but you need to let it wash over you and then affect the things you can affect. We call it shaping the battlefield. So if you can't shape the battlefield that way, let's try another avenue to shape it in your favour. Mm. Uh, it's the same with work. You know, if work is overawed and you and you're just getting hammered every single day, then the first thing you need to do is express that. Hey, this is too much work. Can I get some help? I mean, there's some fairly basic stuff. That's a really important point you just said there, because you know there's a big push for guys to start talking about stuff more. Oh, you know that it's yeah. not. I mean, you're a, you're a tough guy, mm. military guy. Um, he rolls his eyes but you know like you're a um, you know you're in that environment and you've just said when things get too overwhelming you reach out for help like that's that sounds like that's something that's part of your part of the military thing is that something you got taught or is that something you you get into contact you get on the radio shoot back get on the radio where's the help Who's the QRF where's a quick reaction force coming to help us out So so if we use the analogy of like someone's someone in everyday life is under fire metaphorically yep you know okay where's my help where's the help where's my backup share the load yeah yeah share the load and and especially today with you know the the psychological disorders that we are creating through these very intense situations that we're putting our young people through especially in the military you know coming back from war zones um one they don't have a lot of tools, especially the younger guys don't have a lot of uh, life tools. You mm. know, they haven't been to life a lot experience. of funerals, yeah. you know, um, having relationship breakdowns and whatever mm. else. So, you know, the grumpy 45-year-old, as I was when I went to the war zone, he's already seen so much in his life. There's a, there's a bag of tools there being able to deal with the stress. Mm. Mm. But the 18-year-old doesn't have those. I was at a surf carnival this morning. Mm. You know, there was a couple of young kids there and I'm thinking, you know, it's 19 years old and I'm thinking... 
guys were sent to war at this age, you know, Vietnam and mm. World War One and Two. They never had any of that emotional like maturity to deal with it. I can't imagine, you know, and there probably wasn't that support that there is today. So that must have been unbelievable for some of those yeah. people. Oh, back in back in you know the early nineties or mid nineteen, you know, it's it was horrendous for those guys. Minimal amount of training smashed off to a war zone and then nothing when you came home if if anything it was like why did you go when you came home especially in this case of the vietnam vets so today it's gotten a lot better the big issue we have today i feel on a personal level is that it's very hard to have a set sequence or plan for people when they come back with psychological disorders because it can go in any direction go in so many different directions Mm. so i mean the the baseline plan of get together talk it through stay with your mates you know, is a great plan because you can share the load and share the experiences. And if you can keep doing that, yeah, then we can. Man, there's no shame find, in that. Yeah. No, that's yeah. right. And then that becomes normal. Yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, there was it used to be a bit of stigma about having some sort of psychological issue. Nowadays, we're getting a little bit smarter society and going. Mm. Guess what? Chemi- Probably all do. Chemical <laughs> reactions in the brain. You right. know, blah blah blah. Right. It's, it's not a weakness. So yeah. you know that that's great. I don't think at the moment we have the perfect solution no but it's much better yeah yeah Yeah. so for you how do you so you you obviously transitioned well into mainstream life you know there's that that obviously the in the military you've got a bit of certainty to a certain extent of your job at least probably not when you go into action but um you know going away from that certainty into i know the movie business is very fickle like you know how do you stay focused and on the next thing and you know, then we'll start talking about more about the specifics about some of these cool movies that you've done as well. But like, you know, we'll start that transition into movies and and the fickleness of the whole industry and and what you're doing now. Yeah, I think that the the first I'd had a thirty year career, decided that I needed something new because I, I had done all the jobs. I'd done just about every job that that a clearance diver could do, and and a special forces clearance diver could do. So at that point in my career, I was like, what's next? You know. I met someone who was a mutual friend. He was involved in the movies. That's how I got involved, uh, the down and dirty version. Um, and then I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down this direction. I'm gonna bite off as much as I can bite and chew like hell, just like I have with my military career, yeah. um, and see where it leads me. What I didn't do was go, okay, that's my new career. I went, okay, well that's another revenue stream if you like but I'm going to open up my own business I'm going to keep this other area open I'm going to do some reserve days and just be flexible about the way that I um, you know made my 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 weekly earnings yeah Uh, and I didn't get too focused about actually having to force myself down that road Mm. I think uh, especially in Australia as you know being a stuntman yourself um, it it is finicky. If you get on a team and they like you, you'll stay on that team and then there won't be a requirement for a Guy Andrews driving stuntman for the next three movies, yeah, yeah. which is the only three we get in eight years. Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah, it's hard So we work. met in Broken Hill, I think it was our first yes. time we met, and so we were, uh, we were on set for Mad Max, Fury Road, some of the pre-production stuff, and I remember because there was a group training session, everyone was doing fit, fitness because we had to be fit for the movie and, and lean. Yes. And I remember this group workout and we were doing a bunch of burpees and because I'd, I'd, I'd be try, I'd try to be the first guy back up to do the jump, you know, and, and, and everyone was still on the ground. And I'd look across and there was this guy on the other side of the room and he kept looking over it and then I'd go down again. I'd come up and he'd looking at me and I'd go down and he'd looking at me and he's like, I think about the 50th one, he gave me a bit of a wink. 
and then we went over and introduced ourselves and it was you John I met John that day and we had a good old laugh and we've been mates ever since we've been yeah, training it's, together it's, and I mean those those commonalities you know we have similar personalities we, we're obsessed with the fitness culture and, and we want to be the fastest and best at what we do and then when you see someone else like that you, you're naturally drawn that mm. way um, yeah, it was a very interesting uh, evolution because we had uh, 60 or 70 stunt yeah, guys there, yeah. in the room. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of egos, a lot of alpha males, yeah, and yeah. we're just doing our thing because that's what we've done for 30 years of our lives. Yeah. You know, you're a professional athlete and, and I'm just a crazy army guy who never said no. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting, and it's created a great relationship. And we've met some other really yeah. great people on that yeah, set yeah, as well. Absolutely. I remember, you know, yeah. other people had our similar aspects. Stephen Gall and the motocross guys, um, yeah. great yeah. crew. So let's talk a bit about the movie. So we were in um, in Broken Hill for Mad Max. Obviously, got postponed. Broken Hill became too green. They moved everything to Namibia. In the meantime, um, you, I think you went back to Sydney, I went back to the Gold Coast in Queensland, and then we wound up on the west coast of Africa and Namibia a couple of years later. And that's where we were, we were kind of in this isolated environment where we were training every day when we weren't on set. And, and you were there initially as the warfare advisor, is that right? Correct, yeah. So, I, I mean, we, we got there, I got there as being the military advisor or warfare advisor, um, and knowing that you guys would be there and, and, and things. So I was just thinking it was going to be an awesome experience just to be the military advisor and my understanding of what I was supposed to do would be, you know, Charlie's needs to point a gun. How do you point the gun? Um, Tom needs to draw a pistol and fire two rounds. How's he going to do that? And how's he going to cock the weapon and all those technical aspects of weapon handling and things like that. The war boys, how they're going to stand, who they're going to yell at, some maybe some signals and stuff that they're going and to that do. that was essentially what you were doing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And then I believe, I remember the day you said, hey, they're casting for the role Ace. We've got a photo of Ace there. What's that one on? Could be on slide number. Oh, here you are here. So we'll, we'll come back to that slide later. And uh, that's actually Suicide Squad. So we'll, let's go on to try and find a little slide there with Ace. Here we go. 16. That's the one. So, so that's you in the centre there. As Ace, the character Ace, which is, well, t- tell us how that came about. So how did that come about? I was on that war rig. As you, as you see the photos there, those guys are on, on YouTube right now. That is the war rig. So we're looking forward there over the so front the war rig's cabin. the giant fuel tanker that the um, the Mad Max guys have got and they're transporting fuel Correct. Furiosa's in charge of the yeah. war rig and she's taking her war boys, which I'm part of. I'm the 2IC or the second in command of, of the war boys on the rig. And I was up in that position there that, that we see in the photo right in the centre and I was actually just instructing the war boys about a particular scene. George had come up and said, okay, we we're going to bring some buzzards in, which were the enemy. They were the small cars that had oh, all the spikes yep, on them. Yep, so they were buggies off the buggies, yes, yeah. yes. So they they speaking Russian for some reason. <laughs> you have to talk to George about that. They were coming in and George was saying, yes, they're going to come so in. George and Miller, the director. The yep. director was saying, yes, they'll come in and, and they're going to do their actions and, John, your guys should do theirs. And I sort of turned around to George and said, what do you mean our guys should do as we'd had no script yeah, we'd had no yeah. actual understanding of what these guys were doing i said george so did you say did you turn around and say george what's my motivation i did not say that no, <laughs> you no, didn't, no. no that's something you would have said <laughs> I, I just turned around and said what do you want so i was being the military guy tell me yeah. exactly the left and right of arc what do i need to achieve 
He said, well, okay, I should be more specific and did that. Anyway, I went through the actions with the war boys. This is the enemy. Guys, you're going to do this and all the actions over there. Buzzards left, buzzards right, you know, toe popper, big banger. They were the weapon systems that we come up with. Um, maybe some, you know, gear up, gear up, which is like uh, a military call to arms. I went through all those in my normal military voice and George turned around and said, well, you should do that. That should be your Just job. Just do that. And I said, well, that's your decision, George. You're the director. And, yes. and that's how that came about. So that was so sort of your audition as Ace the character, was it? Or another guy already had already been earmarked for right. that position and he was a, a stunt guy who'd obviously had yep. acting yep. in his resume. But George just went, oh, hang on a minute, we've got an army guy that already does all that stuff, and so, so why don't we just get him there? So then the, the auditioning process happened, and that and was the makeup was unreal. And like I remember, the, you had because we were supposed to be affected by toxic stuff, and you had big, you had to get a big, what do they call that, goiter? Yeah, we had to have the uh, tumors growing the tumor, out of yeah. our necks and everything. Actually, the makeup was was probably one of the most. Um, What's the most uncomfortable, I suppose, out of the whole process was the fact that my particular character, uh, Ace, was very heavily body painted. So he had this white body paint and then there was all the um, silicon uh, tumours. Yeah. I was 26, I think I had on, plus the scarifications, which are like yes, the skull and crossbones and the spanners on the collarbones and, you know, things like that. that took them. quite a while. So it? the first one was three and a half hours in the chair yeah. to get made up yeah. and then they got it down to about two hours. So I remember there was a drive that, because we were staying in that little town just just uh, and there was this actual scene was in a in a desert area to the north of town and i remember the bus pickup was about 3 30 4 o'clock in the morning for me but you had a car because you were the military advisor and you ended up being on the security go- team and you'd pick me up at about five and we'd drive the 120 kilometers in about 45 minutes <coughs> ish and uh there wasn't a lot of rules over there. <laughs> we'd pull in and we'd get, get make up a little bit extra time on the way, but um, it was an exceptionally was, straight road. Yes, it was very straight yes. road. But that was um, yeah. And then you'd be straight in the chair, do make up for quite a bit of time, and then out on the desert. That was interesting too. The weather's changed. You know, I remember it being cold, bitterly cold, and then later being. And, and that was quite hard. I mean, it was quite harsh. For the, I had a lot of young guys on that truck with me. There were some quite young stunt uh, members who weren't quite qualified, but they were allowed to be on that team because they were well harnessed in and, and they needed to be that age because they wanted to show young war boys. Those guys suffered a lot because I don't think they'd ever really suffered. Well, you told me something uh, yeah. earlier mm. today about there's no such thing as cold can't or sharks. So, so you, you know, there's no such thing as cold or yeah. can't. Yeah. Can't so they something. weren't getting any sympathy from they, you. Well, yeah, not so much. Yeah. No. I, I mean the the assistant ads, which are people who just are the assistants who run around movies and help you with every aspect of where you need to go and food and everything else. They were very very generous and would bring jackets. Yeah. But yes, it was quite cold in the morning. I mean. We're looking at three and four degrees in yeah. the morning, and of course, the whole scene—you've so got no a pair of pants on, on and yeah. no tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the motorbike guys—I was part of the motorbike team as well, and even the car team because there's mm. no windows mm. in a lot of the cars. Yeah, I remember the car I was in, uh, no it's windows. It's just cold. Yeah, you, you had know? a jacket on like this, and then they go roll camera, yeah, pull it down off the like, jacket yeah. comes off. Yeah, so um, those mm. guys quickly learned about uh, suffering over that uh, three-month period. Yeah, so. yeah. Have we got any other vision there on Mad Max that we can actually show, or is there? Uh, uh, Max, Max, Max. Let's have a Max. Look. So go. 
That was a scene. This yeah, is a good, this is a scene up here. Actually, I was yeah. this part here is a good one to watch. Um, that, that's actually a video. If you want to play the video, this scene. So this scene for people that can't see it, we're on top of a mountain in the Namibian desert. Max drives off and he's getting chased by a bunch of mad marauding war boys. It's it's actually it's a really good uh, clip. I, I take this clip whenever I'm explaining what a military advisor does because it it just shows um, just the massive amounts of, of logistics and, yeah. and, and, and administration. You got the team down the bottom there, but yeah. you can see in the movie. See those ramps; those guys are standing between the move in in here. That say in front of the cactus there. So that's in the scene in the movie. You see Max drive off, and the car jumps into camera shot and that's the ramps yeah that's right and then just as he goes over that rise there you'll see the next scene that I actually drove in where we go down the side of that mountain and Max gets tripped up and rolls his car about and um, it's and it's the first scene of the times. movie and then yeah. you've, you've got to try in your brain if you're a Mad Max fan to go why did Max crash in a straight line but yeah, yeah. anyway that's that's movie yeah, magic yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we did a rehearsal of that and I was the stunt the guy that rolled the car was actually Guy Norris, the director, the stunt director, the head of the department. And so he, he had a massive role, you know, coordinating all this stuff over the um the movie and this was in the pre rehearsal, not that scene, but the practice for that scene. And he wrote, he was going for the world record. He wanted to beat the one off um the James Bond movie. And how many roles? It was that? thirteen roles. And it was downhill, but he got ten point five and I was fit one of the first cars on his on his left and we had to pull up in the dust in a v formation and we got ten and a half rolls because it dug into the sand towards the end of the rollovers yeah. and then in the actual movie it only rolled about six times so um but yeah that was insane i'm like wow he's like this guy's got to run the whole rest of this movie yeah. and he was in the first mad max the guy's got a set of kahunas on him yeah like so he had a massive big uh motorcycle accident on the first one That's where he right. clipped a car just about tore his leg off yes and he still walks he break, with a limp today so. his legs, didn't he? oh Isn't just yeah. a horrendous accident but back in the day yeah you know and, and, and i do remember a lot of the stunts that we did especially the driving type ones which involve flips and and, and cannons for cars to 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 um roll over. roll over and you could probably explain what that means but they're just being very violent because i was on the war rig and that mm. was all happening around mm. me and mm. you could feel the percussion and you could feel the bits of you know fragmentation of there's a great of scene on, and stuff. Um, i didn't cue it up beforehand but it's a great scene on youtube of of you on the war rig and they've got a a, a claw car or a um, actually, if you want to, yeah, pull it up, Jace. It's uh, actually made a note. It's Fury Road behind the scenes at a minute 50. There it is. Yeah, I remember that scene. It was, in actual fact, George came to me because I'm not a qualified stuntman. If you go to a minute 50, and you'll see John at about two minutes, and he's, um, he's you're on the war rig. So this scene, mate, you were on the, I remember the scene. You come home, you were on the war rig. They tore the side out of the war rig. There was stuff flying everywhere. And you just said, oh, it's just like a day at work. Well, it is because there's, there's a lot of action happening all around you and there's, and there's you know, when you see it in the movies... Well, you'll you, see this um, scene here, actually, possibly. You just think that it's... If this is the same... Um, might not be our um, same video. There's George Miller. Ah, it's a different... Must be a different one behind the scenes, man. Max Fury Road. So it's a different. This is actually a different one, Jace. Might be a. It's just a black and white. On set. That's it there. 
go up 403. That's just after oh, it yeah, happened. That's it. That's yeah. it. Behind the scene. I remember it. Behind well. the scene. Yes. So minute 50 is some good action. So to paint this scene, essentially it's the, the large war rig when the shovel buzzard, so it comes alongside. So these, these cars here in the poles, what I worked on, actually, I was on the base of that pole and right in the middle of that scene. Oh, this is the opening. Yeah, there's the opening. So that's practising. That's one of the cars I was in on the downside, on the far side of that second car across. That's me. Yeah. All, I'm, all I'm doing is driving a car. So that's you up there. Oh, not now, but there's this great scene at 1 minute 50. And you'll see Johnny. There, there you're up there on top of the truck. There you are, mate. Yes, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was a really – that was an interesting scene because – Look at that rigging. When well, you, there you go. When, yeah, if you look at it, that particular shot there where there you see Johnny. the yeah, uh, nice, arm nice of the work. other truck rip that off, in actual fact it had – Some of that, this stuff's insane. That, that. that part of the truck had wire and, and uh, cabling through it. Yeah. And I had to – remote control the arm from the other truck on. I had a little remote control unit. So I was driving that arm onto that truck. So it would connect. So it would connect. So it connected, but then I had to physically connect it to a uh, a steel cable which was intertwined in yeah. all of the truck. To and, rip it off. And then I gave a signal to the stunt coordinator and he remotely initiated a cannon. So there's all these things that can go all wrong. All mechanisms going on. And there's these two trucks going side by side. And, uh, yeah. and then eventually that truck flips with a cannon, which is a, a, a large uh, device underneath the truck. And it rips the carapace off. Now that carapace actually hit me in the face as it went past. <laughs> it's only made out of fiberglass. So, but again, like you said, yeah. it's like a day at work. You're jumping yeah. from vehicle to vehicle and doing but stuff. But you mean you see the raw? This is the raw footage without any. Um, yeah, add-ons. Yeah. Doctoring. It's just uh, crazy. That scene here. That scene there. The truck crash. Mate. Yeah, um, and that's a cannon. That you Lee, just see the it? cannon. Yeah, Lee, the driver of that truck. He has got to be the coolest customer. Well, that's all legit. He rolled that truck. So the backstory to that. Yeah. Allow me to indulge. Yeah. So we were, we were. That was done in Penrith. Yes. And I was standing on the side of the road the day before while this truck came down the road and did a practice sort of swerve mm. to see to get the timings. And we had some some little canisters, little shots on the on the front of the truck to go. Yep, that that went off there. And we, we had to delay the shooting a day because it rained. And we went back the next day. We moved down the road a little bit, and there was a bit more crown on the road. And the truck, so Lee swerved the truck. And I just, instead of looking for the canister to go off on the truck, I actually turned my head and looked. So there was six stunties, including myself, on the side of the road just sort of get this timing. And we've gone, I've gone, run. The trailer of the truck come off the crown of the road and actually rolled oh, off the back of the prime. It was mover. rolling. It was rolling at us. And so we've all just turned around and run for the hills. And the things wiped out. And, so, and there's some, like, those latex bodies on the... Yes. And so the dust settles, and I see one of the boys, he's down, he's got the, the dummy, the and he's got a latex <laughs> dummy, and he's giving it CPR. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we nearly got killed by this semi-trailer, and they're pulling jokes. Yeah, that's just the yeah, environment that you're that's in. Right, that's but right. But then the next day, Lee's got that thing. And, like, for the listeners, like, you're driving a, a semi-trailer at 110 kilometres an hour towards that wall, Takes a swerve, just unsettles the truck, and then hits a hits a charge, which is a night. I think it's a night. Is it a nitrous charge or it's a it's a charge that shoots a basically a small telegraph pole out of the out of a out of a cannon inside the car, inside the truck. It hits the ground. It's got a, like a plate on the end of it, and it bounces back up into the 
yeah. cabin and hits the top of that cylinder that the, that it's kept in. Yeah. And that cylinder's the top of that's all connected to the roll cage, and it actually the inertia, the kinetic energy, then just rolls the truck over. Yeah. And you'll see in the slow mo's that you'll see that kept that. Pole, you, you see the pole, pole coming out, coming. yeah. In the, in the, in but the then shot. you know to have so, uh, the the structure of that truck around you and rolling it like that, mate. That, that Lee, Lee, what was his last name, mate? He's he's he. There's bigger kahunas going around. Yeah, we that, we that had a really stunted. good relationship with him because I had to be on and off the truck a lot. We yeah. had to do a lot of stuff, and he was driving sometimes from the pod. Remember the pod? Yes, on the side of the vehicle. And because yeah. uh, Charlize was pretending to drive the truck, but and Lee he was, was down really in doing a little buggy shaped thing on the so side. So you of the try vehicle. and drive a thirty ton truck to an inch of where you need to be in camera from the side where the wheels yeah, are yeah wheel level in yeah. a little go-kart looking yeah, thing they, they get they get uh, interestingly for the amount of stunties that were there and people that were there there was no drums yeah i was going to say the, the there's no ego no there was yeah there was ego on that but it wasn't really i think that everybody was very professional in what they needed to do and 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 needed to be on the spot because a lot of things could have gone wrong. Yeah. You had a lot of people in close proximity, a lot of dust, and not much visibility. To do it right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, um, we will, and and he said he wants to come on. Richard Norton, uh, the fight young Richard. Yes, so he'd done a lot of stuff with Chuck Norris. He was there. I think that's you know I remember going into the gym and doing um, uh, jujitsu and stuff with yes. him on the mats. And I'm yeah. not I'm not a fighter, and just you pretty quickly work out the pecking order. When you do that sort of stuff, he's <laughs> he, been doing. He a choked long me out time. at one point. There he goes. Why didn't you tap? I've gone. I just wanted to see what it was like. Yeah, you yeah. Him, my eyes are all bloodshot. Yeah. And but yeah, amazing characters on that movie. He, I mean, Rich is one. I, I, I love Richard to death. I really do. I, I worked with him on Suicide Squad, yeah. and we had a fantastic relationship on Suicide Squad. Some many, many funny. So times. we came back from the Mad Max. That was an amazing experience. Then you, yeah, we got a call up locally to do some test screening to to Mad Max so Guy Norris's team actually wanted to win the job for Suicide Squad which is a Will Smith movie it's a Marvel movie I think it was Marvel yes. one of those yes um, you worked on it and then, uh, anyway we did did the test screens they won the job you actually went to Canada and shot that with Will and Will Smith you did military stuff there with Will and yeah. with um, Margot that that ordinary looking bird what's her name Margot yeah, Robbie Margot's yeah. Some, some so you some cool um cool slides in here of that let's get let's talk about that so number 12 i think i think we were at like yeah maybe six i know there's often point put here four five and six let's see what's on there oh this is you in the explain it this is you so what we're looking at now is a, is a little kill house that i made up for will and his stunt double because uh, in will the movies Smith. a lot of people don't realize that uh, the stunt double has to do exactly what the the, the main actors. So here, what we're doing is just practicing how he's going to move. So he's carried his dead shot in the movie. Yeah, that's is correct. Guns wep- what what weapons he's going to use, how they're going to look, and of course the stunt double needs to replicate not only what he's doing but the way in which he does it. You know, yeah. so how he walks and how he holds his shoulders and so. And this stunt double obviously would work with him in a lot of, a lot of Every movies. Every single thing that uh, Will did on this particular movie, the stunt double was always there, unless the stunt double was in front of camera. So, yeah. uh, and they do, they follow along and they and they get all their little personal traits of, mm. you know, how they hold their head and their shoulders and whatever else. So, yeah, cool. So but, that, what slide was that? For, that's your 13, 14. So go back to slide four, five and six. I, just, I think I had something down there. I'm not sure if they're Mad Max stuff or... Five is, yeah, five. Five is there. Here yeah. you are. Yes. So this is you with Will, and he's that's some of his dead shot stuff from 
from suicide, is it? Suicide's Correct, crime. yeah. What, what we're looking at here is just a, it's a slide on the wall I put up as military advisor. These are atypical days I have with uh, the characters and the actors or actresses. So, so I've got Will Smith there on the left. He's playing Deadshot. We literally just went into the armory, which was in Canada, and I worked well with the armorers there, and we, we um, were looking at how the costume fit with his weapons, how his weapons would fit underneath his costume because he had hand cannons and stuff like that. And then I would go to wardrobe and say, look, we need to make that coat bigger or that coat slightly smaller or his particular weapon systems, which way he would like to hold them um, so that he felt comfortable so he can do the acting stuff. He doesn't have to worry about the. There was a candid little video there of you with Will. um, Teaching him how to shoot? shoot. Number 10, I think it is. Is it number 10? Yeah. Yeah, so this is him. So tell us what happens here. So this is Deadshot. When he first had his weapon systems, he had um, seven weapon systems. So we had to go through which order he would use which weapons. So we just went through a very standard thing. And this is an afternoon just in the local area. And he's I'm telling him which guns are going to stop. And then he draws the next weapon. And he's got so many of them on his back and on the yeah. sides and on his wrist. And then, and he's a human being, as you can see. He's quite funny. You know, yeah. he's like, what is he like? He is a fantastic guy, actually. Um, very professional and, and, and does everything he needs to. But at the same time, very humanistic. You know, very easy to come in and talk to him one on one and say, "How was your night?" And and you know, how are you enjoying the movie? And mm. as as it is to say, um, I need you to do this twenty for seven times. And he'd go, "Yep, okay, do it." And he he'd, he'd do the pro. work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he'd do the work. Very comfortable. I mean, the guy has got a lot of kudos in the industry. Yeah, yeah. So um, and you get certain characters like that, and I know Keanu Reeves has got a good rep. Um, Tom Hardy and Mad Max seem to be quite a cool guy. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, Margot Robbie. Margot was fantastic. I mean, yeah. Margot actually went to the same school that my son's currently going to, so there oh, was right. a connection there. Yeah. Uh, and we were training with her, and I, you were there at the same time when we were in the Gold Coast at the pre-training yes, for Suicide yeah. Squad. And she did a lot of weapons stuff. She didn't have a lot of weapons play in the movie, but I just wanted her to be very comfortable shooting blanks and doing her uh, – she had a lot of bat weapons yep. play that she had yep. to do. So that's quite hard choreograph, yep. you know, to, to manipulate those things. So we just yeah. need to give her some dexterity. And, and, and you see a pretty girl like that and you think, oh, she's just got – you know, she's in the movies because she's knacked a bit and she's pretty – but did she apply herself? She switched on. She's yeah. super switched so on. So it's no accident. Like if – my men at work could grab the concepts as quickly as she did. Yeah. We'd, we'd do half the training. Yeah, right. Like they asked, especially both so of them. So no, it's her. not an accident that these people are stars no. in their chosen fields because no. they've got the work ethic. The, the ability to replicate, you should call them chame- chameleons, really. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. look at it, they, you don't even have to talk to them and they go, yeah, I got that. Mm. Thumbs in this position, elbows in this position, stance is right, shoulders are good. Mm. They're looking at everything you do, do and you, they can just do, you, do it. Do you consider that sort of like you know i know good athletes natural athletes are good at, at doing that sort of thing is do you think they'd be it, it is it's that? a very similar attribute mm. it's 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 the ability to replicate the sme so the subject matter expert says this is how it needs to be done i might say hold your shoulders this way and your hands this way mm. but they're looking at everything yeah the feet the elbows the head you know how you're breathing yeah, they're right. getting they're sucking all that information in without actually being told yeah it's interesting yeah so um is there there was a scene i saw there was a bat swinging scene with uh is it up number seven maybe uh, with, that's um, number seven yes this is margot with margot yeah yeah that's a video so what we're looking at Did here you get is it to dress this way 
she comes into work like that. She's she's a cool kid, you know. She comes in, hey John, can we do some weapon stuff? I said absolutely, Margo. Let's go and have a play. So she's shooting blanks. She's here. got blanks here, and that rhino has got a particularly hard trigger pull, so it's like six and a half pounds. Character like, which is kind of a very blasé kind of a. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So what we're trying to teach you here is not only you know how to handle a bat and a weapon at the same time safely she's because it's still a movie there, set. Very cool. Yeah. And then I put some dummies on the ground because. You need to teach. She's having a problem. They're trying to pull the trigger. Like I said, it's quite heavy. And then she apologises. Sorry. Um, so she's a, a nice lady. And then, yeah. And then she's actually aiming off from the dummies because there's right. a lot of safety implications with blank rounds. So when they actually do the the real shoot, they're not aiming at the stunt person. Never. No, they're always aiming off. And then the camera adjusts or the yeah. position yeah. so that we we get a shot that looks like they're shooting people. Yeah. Two yeah. shots of each target. Two shots. Are you bought in some? Uh, some fake weapons in I, I do have a little fake gun, yes. Can we you can, show me how to... We can, we can play with that. Shoot. Guns. I can get one if you yeah, want. Yeah, get it. Go on, get it. <laughs> so, um, I just... Those of you guys are watching along on YouTube, check out my um, Movember. It's, it actually is towards the end of November. And I've got a little bit to go. It is creepy. It's... Uh, but... Um, I've raised $70, John. I've raised $70 for Movember, and, and it's going towards I've chosen. Movember's really cool. You can choose any where you want the research to go, whether it's mental health. I chose prostate cancer because it was, a, it was close to me, that, that cause, and, and uh, yeah, it's a bit of fun. I've been waiting to do Movember because when it's got really big so that people don't just think I just chose to grow a moustache for uh, the hell of it. So now it's big enough, I'm going to do it every year. November. On, Look at how red it is. On you, it looks great. Thanks. All right. So you've got your weapon system there, have you, John? So I have the is weapon system. Is that what we system. call it? It is a weapon system. Correct. Yes, indeed. So this is atypically what I would do as, as a military advisor. The first question I always ask people, if they're going to handle guns, is I just get them to draw a weapon and point it at a target. Because a lot can be told by just how people hold guns. So, oh, this is a good one because I, you taught me this, and I and I can't stand. Where's oh, the, the camera? Oh, the cup, cup and saucer. saucer. Now, don't get me wrong. Cup and saucer had its time and place. Did it? What? If it was sixties and seventies, and you were a cop, cup and saucer was how you were taught how to do yeah, your revolver. Yeah. What about gangster? So yeah, look, the gangster is very gangster. It's not going to work. I did like that. Just on a side note, when you because you at work you've got like a gun sound. That you do, you know, like yeah. Oh, crack, crack. What crack, we say, crack, crack. crack, crack. Yeah. Yeah. And then, as your son was a bit younger, you used to run around the house going pew pew. And I remember you telling me this story where you had a whole bunch of military guys, and you're like, "Guys, draw your weapon, pew pew." And you went, "I mean, crack, crack." <laughs> we don't pew pew. We don't pew pew at home anymore. Yes, it's it's not very professional when you yeah. go to work going pew yeah, pew. Yeah, you got to drum that out. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Tell me more about the cup and saucer and how so, do you hold a handgun? Then? So the cup and saucer thing. Hang on a second. So the first thing we do is we get these guys to to actually hold the weapon as it's supposed to be held. yeah i can see up there and uh and and you can tell straight away when people don't know what they're doing because you know their hand will be low um you're going to ruin uh, action movies uh, look you know because i look for this stuff now this is a a lot my son knows all about this because of video games so you know there's a new age of of people coming through that know let's just do this to try and push um you know the movies armourers in the military guys <laughs> get you more job yeah, and, and make it more legit and, and so what what we do is we get them to hold it nice and high on the, what we call the tang so you know and there's, there's tactical reasons for that you know it stops the muzzle jumping around all that sort of stuff so that's why we do it 
you know, thumbs thumbs over top of safeties if safeties come down to be Where's off. Where's the safety? Because I always think to myself, if I was in that situation in this movie and I picked up the guy's gun, I'm going to need to know where the safety is. So safeties they typically on weapon systems are up here at the rear. Yeah. And they can either be a mechanical safety like this one, and this is ambidextrous, so it's left and right, right handed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you can use this hand or you can and use And is it generically thumb. like, you know, would I go click? Oh, yeah, that's that's off. Oh, no, no it's and click. unfortunately, you know? all weapons. Uh, are different as if I'm going to be in some sort of so you know we got a 1911 here is a 1911 where you've actually got to press down on the safety which just disengages that that little lever in there yeah, yeah. and it stops the slide from moving physically stops right. the slide and stops the the actual um yeah the, the uh trigger yeah couldn't remember the word then trigger <laughs> yeah yeah military violence couldn't remember the trigger pew, pew. it makes it go pew pew uh but on a Beretta 92 F, it's the opposite. You've got to pull the safety up. Right. So you have to know the weapons. You know Hence, you have to have a weapon specialist yes. to train you these yeah. particular weapons. So we teach him, you know, the thumbs together, thumbs forward, hands overlapping, nice and straight. You know, we'll look at people when they draw the weapon and bring it up. they start fishing, you know, or fishing like this. Right. Instead like of drawing it up a rod, like, like you're a rod. shooting, like you're going to yeah. punch something. So it's very much like boxing. Bringing the, the weapon to your eyes. And the stance, I know, is an interesting because you always try say to me to stand square. And, and the thing is, is that that's also dependent on the time frame. So if you're talking about, you know, before Vietnam, Korea and right. places like that. So any time where we didn't have body armour, yeah, we that, went side on. Yeah. Smaller target. You're teaching me in Namibia, we were lucky enough to go to a live range. We could talk about that, but like stand yeah. square on because you've got the body armour. But I always yes. worry about getting shot in the nuts. And that's... Yeah, well... <laughs> You shouldn't have to worry about that. That's not, not at your height, anyway. <laughs> worry about your head. Exactly. I mean, the technology is there, and they spend a lot of money developing it. So you've got to show the technology because if you're side on, it's going to go under your armpit, through your arm, under your armpit, and there's no point. I guess you're better off not being dead. If you, I'd rather have no nuts and be yeah, alive. Than the thing is, that's right. You know, a shot to the to that region, yeah, it's yeah. not going to kill you. Yeah. It will eventually, yeah, yeah, but yeah. not straight away. Yeah. Whereas a shot straight to the middle of the chest, Bam. she's all over. Yeah. So you know, we we. We stand square on. It actually helps us with aiming yep. and everything and, and transition drills from a primary to and a secondary weapon. you bring it up to your island. And that's right. I mean, you'll see in movies the whole time, you know, they do this and they're cocking their head left or right to, to yeah. because they've brought the weapon up and they're trying, oh, I've got to look through the sights and now. And do you close one eye or? And we don't. You can if you want to. If you're yeah. going to take a long shot, it's There's better no to right close one eye. No, yeah. but, but in modern day terminology, don't close your eyes because you need the peripheral. You need the situational awareness. Yeah, yeah. What's happening around me? Where are my teammates? What What are they doing? What's mm. Where's a potential and threat? What about etiquette? Gun ed- gun handling etiquette. I mean, the thing is, is that when you get on set, it's two different worlds. You go to a military place, and you, people will not get lasered. Lasered is you got a laser coming out the front of your weapon, and it never lasers Guy Andrews. So right. if you were there, I'd be putting the weapon over the top because I can't see your legs. So there's no point. In it. Or I'd have it sideways and down so yeah so military men are hounded about this the whole time so if you're a weapon user yeah you are muzzle aware as we call it yeah and and even into the point when you're in a close quarters battle environment with multiple people in a room you're still muzzle aware you might you see laser. that you see that in well-trained like well-drilled military action in a movie 
you'll see the guys not crossing across each other's paths and dropping the gun. And if they are, it's a fleeting moment of it crossing their legs or they'll bring the weapon up at the high ready, yeah, as we yeah. call it, or high port and yeah. go over their but head. I like, I like looking for those little things now in the way they hold the gun. It just shows the technical Yeah, you know, and my favourite one is like you always say, oh, you got your elbow up, you know, you got a long gun and you got your elbow up and you're going to get your elbow shot and, off, got to keep that tucked And they in. used to train that. So that's, you know, again, 60s, 70s, you know, to yeah. the early 80s, that so was the done, trained way of doing it. So you've done, you did some stuff and some period movies didn't you didn't you so we did um danger close which was a vietnam yes, yeah. uh, very famous did battle you, did you have to research a bit more of the of older course. school stuff well i didn't really because when i joined i joined in greens so right. in 1985 we were greens and slr okay. that's what i and yeah. that was and so all of my tactics techniques procedures that i got taught when i first joined the military well actually came from vietnam yeah right. so that was all the lessons learned from the 70s yeah, yeah. that went to the 80s and yeah. we hadn't had a conflict after vietnam so I was still in that same, you know, 12-man patrol, uh, SLR, um, you know, no body armour, just greens, uh, H harness webbing. So Vietnam, that movie was qu- quite easy for me because I knew the tactics, techniques, procedures. I just had to learn what actually happened on the day. Yeah. And then I could make sure that people were replicating that as best as the story would yeah, allow. Yeah, yeah. And you it, also worked with uh, Mel Gibson. I remember you did that, that movie Mel, Mel. I worked with Mel on Damn, um, uh, Hacksaw. Hacksaw Ridge, Hacksaw, that's right. yeah, yeah, which yeah. was the story You've of. You've got the, to meet a few cool. Oh, look, and they're all very, very different. Mel's, you know, Mel knows what he wants, yeah. and will tell you what he wants. Yeah, you know, and if and if and you come up with an, I remember going up to Mel, going, "Hey, Mel, there's a really good opportunity here to do a little bit of fire and maneuver and whatever." He goes, "Nah, f that stuff." Yeah, yeah. I want fifty guys down down the, you know, yeah. throw some smoke and go down the guts blazing. I went. Okay, because okay. he's the boss, you know. And that's so, where that line between reality and movies and you being an advisor. You offer the advice. Yeah. If they don't take it, you go, Roger that. Yeah. yeah. You can't go, no, that's not the way military would do it. What's the best military movie you've seen in terms of accuracy? Oh, you'd have to say Black Hawk Down's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff they do there is, I mean, they've obviously movieized it a, a little bit with, with how close people are because, again, the camera needs to see people and fill mm. the lens. Mm. So you can't keep those big distances, what we would like to do in the military. Yeah. But the calls and the way people were using weapon systems, the difference between... Uh, the Delta guys and right. uh, and the uh, recon guys, you yeah. know. Uh, so yeah, there's there was that was there was obviously a lot of research done there. Yeah. Um, there's some great gunplay, and, and the classic one is in Heat when they do the fire and maneuver stuff. That's probably one of the best examples of fire and maneuver. I mean, they're bad guys, mm-hmm. but obviously they were well taught. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time, most of the military movies, and even most of the military movies that I've been involved with. It's always a compromise between what the characters need to do to develop character yeah. and what the camera needs to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, not unfortunately, the way it is is that the population goes, oh, well, that's what it is. That's mm. what we expect because that's what movies are giving us. So yeah. therefore, that's the norm. Yeah. So we're not getting judged. The military advisor is not getting judged by his peers from yes. the military. He's getting judged by the military experts in civilian life. Yeah, the, oh, the civilian military experts. The civilian military experts. They've watched, military all experts. The civ- They've military, watched everything, yes. so they're experts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and guess what? It's entertainment, so you yeah. have to, you know, you have to up, supply that. Yeah. So what's uh, let me? Can I hold the gun? No, the pretend gun. <laughs> so hand up. Yep, nice and high on the tang, and then so do you thumbs. Actually now, hold, for, don't hold the trigger. You see that a lot in movies. Do I hold it like like this in a V shape? People, oh, that's terrible. Oh, well, that, that's how I'm you just, hold I'm it. Trying to, hang on, I'm trying to get on camera. <laughs> do I look like someone out of forty eight? Another forty eight. So hours? thumbs like this. No, look at that. Oh, this is good. Thumbs like this. 
Like that. Yep. Like that. Thumb, yeah, there you go. Now, your on, right thumb on top of the safety. Right thumb. Right thumb. Yeah, right thumb. That's top that. Of the safety. Yeah, on, this on that safety. And now your left thumb meets your right thumb. Okay. Ah, oh, there you go. So, so now you've got maximum skin. It's not as easy as it looks. There you got maximum skin on the weapon, so you can control what Have the weapon does. Down. Yeah. Pew, pew. Uh, pew, pew. Is okay, crack, I'll, crack, I will crack, make crack. sure that you are on the next list for military like experts. On, um, what's that? Um, what's that stupid comedy movie? <laughs> Naked Gun. Naked Gun. Mm. <laughs> With that um, mustache. That's cool. So yeah, that's not as easy. Look, so the old cup of sauce, that's not going to happen because I see those bad YouTube videos of those girls going, hey, look at me, smacking themselves in the head. Yep. They're yep. hilarious. I love those. I mean, the other major thing that movies are now concentrating on, and you've got to look at things like John Wick and all that sort of stuff, is the gunplay. Mm. That's a major part of the movie. He does yeah. some serious training, though. He does Keanu some serious Reeves training, and he does training with some of the best is weapon experts. John Wick, Keanu Reeves. Or what's the other one with um, Tom Cruise? It's another one where he does um, a lot of shooting as well. Yeah, is that Reacher, is it? Or Jack, Jack Reacher. Reacher. Dry Reacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, those guys, and, and let's be brutally honest, it's not brain surgery. Yeah. It's getting your hands on the tool, as we yeah, call it, yeah, this year, yeah. and just practice, practice, practice. What's your okay? Let's get a bit. So, what's your theory? So, on guns and owning guns and Americans owning guns and that whole look. I, I argument. don't. I don't have um, a gun. Um, you know, walkabout life fetish, and, life and fetish. you know, I've got to have 10, 15 different weapon systems. I've yeah. come from a workplace. It's like saying to a carpenter, "Oh, what's your favourite screwdriver?" Yeah, yeah. And he goes, "I don't have any favourite so, ones." So, but you being um, familiar with weapons and stuff like that, yeah. do you think it's get guns get in the hands of the wrong people? I think we've got the right rules. Don't get me Australia. wrong. I yeah. think we've got the right rules. Um, you can't you can't compare apples to apples with America and Australia. You know, you get 270 million people and 20-something million yeah, people. So you, yeah. you just can't do it. Um, if there are less guns in the hands of people in the streets, there's less gun crime slash injuries. Yep. Hello. It's yep. baseline. Yep. Um, and then there's less of that issue that the police have to focus you're telling me it's very very difficult to get a gun license and own a gun so it's is it difficult it's not difficult it's procedural you have to do this step then you have to do this step you have to take safety and they have to be you exactly have to be stored in a safe position the police have to vet you and say is that person sane enough to own that handgun you have to then prove that you use that handgun in competition because the only way you can use a handgun is if you're doing it for competition you have to have a purpose you can't just go geez I really like a Desert Eagle 45 I'll keep one of those at home ideal for home defence no you can't do that so whereas in America you can rock into a store and go I want the biggest baddest gun and they go well that's a 12 day holding period so you hand your money over in 12 day times you give the gun Mm. you know that's they sell a lot of guns that way. Yeah, yeah. You go to Walmart and pick up a, you know, semi-automatic <laughs> it's unbelievable. weapon. Yeah. So, mate, yeah. that's awesome. Is there any slides we missed that you want to show before we go? Well, you know, we've been talking just over an hour. It goes fast, eh? It does go fast. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's been fantastic. So it's such uh, such an interesting career. Where to now? Do you think like is there any movie stuff on the horizon, or just wait? Look, for there's, the next there's always movie stuff on the horizon. I only just I just got back from Mad Max Con in Japan, which yeah, was like a Comic Con, like thing. a Comic Con type, and absolutely amazing people. Yeah. The Japanese Mad Max fans are the biggest fan base in the world isn't it oh unbelievable they will get dressed up and they will pour their hearts out i had i had a young lady 
who shook my hand and literally was melting in front of me because she was looking at Ace and I'm looking at her going, you know, that was an accident. She'd see me with my goiter on. I was like, you know, she was beside herself. And so the fan base is fantastic and they get right into that warrior ethos. So, I mean, they're amazing things that that, that come off those movies. There are other things on the the horizon. Mel Gibson talked to me the other day about a Destroyer movie that he wants to do. Again, like you know the movie industry is we're going to do this we're going to do this yeah, and then the money yeah. gets the money pulled or somebody and... goes no I need that director to go do something else so it's a bit finicky for yeah, us here in yeah, Australia yeah. Um, but um, hey there's a slide let's, let's quickly yes. show slide six. Oh and yes you developed this and those are the bad guys in Suicide Squad so the yeah sewer scene or something yeah this was the sewer scene and these, these are our um, bad guys in Suicide Squad and if you've seen the movie essentially they they are normal human beings who get turned into these monsters with all these eyeballs so that suit you're looking at me they're putting on uh, if you can see the footage on the left hand side is I've basically got a little pony bottle there which is like a spare air for a scuba diver yeah. and the uh hose is going up the back over the top of my head and then I've got a regulator a very slim profile regulator which we had to develop and build so that it fits in the mask yeah second stage regulator which enables you to breathe and then the actual mask itself I had to go to wardrobe and say hey look uh, if we have a problem we can't get this thing off so they developed the mask with a little grab section which was a small section around the mouth which just enabled it to pull off and it had magnets on it so oh, it could quickly yeah. go on and off. Because you're going to be submerged in this. Well, the whole thing's rubber, so we had to wear lots of weight. Yeah, right. So we're floating underwater yeah. with lots of rubber on, so we had to wear lots of weight, which was in the in the H yeah. harness. Yeah. And then we're being pulled underwater to a fight scene. So the whole idea was right. that we'd hold our breath. Yeah. Get pulled underwater by rigging. So now we're speeding underwater. Yeah. Hit the seals at pace and knock the seals oh, so over. Like super so you look like you're fart. super swimming. Yeah. We'd have a fight scene, and the whole idea of the air was that we could breathe while we're doing the fight scene. Right. Because and once we got air, to the... How long a time? That, that had about two minutes oh, where right. we were. Not much. So you'd hold your breath because we didn't want the bubbles. So right. you're on camera, you don't need the bubbles. But then when you're fighting, you can have bubbles because you're now just, fighting someone on scuba air. Of course, yeah. So, that's, so that's no one can tell where it. the scuba yeah. air is coming from. So we had to sort of develop it and go, how's this all going to work? So you're diving... Um career would have helped with this yeah, whole yeah well look I went through the whole design process with a couple of guys from a local scuba shop that were helping us out I also obviously had to go see wardrobe and, yeah. and develop that and then talk to the stunt people and we had to actually had to do breath hold training yeah. which again is yeah. another story about Margot Robbie in a Lamborghini underwater and breath hold right. maybe we'll was do that, that next time or? that was Suicide Squad I like yeah, the sound yeah, yeah, yeah. of holding breath with Margot, Margot yeah, Robbie and she you was fantastic she could end up holding a breath for five minutes she was a real trooper oh, okay. where do you look yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we're very interested. I mean, and I love this sort of stuff because it, it does it brings in all those skill sets that that you get over the years. Yeah, and yeah. and I basically ran that project by myself. And the stunt director said, "Yeah, run with it, John. Yeah, Do that. Make yeah. that happen for cool. me." So yeah, awesome, mate. I think we could talk forever. Yes, and probably. we do. <laughs> when we go mountain biking Constantly. and doing various things. Um, mate, that's been awesome. Thanks for coming in. Right, you're welcome. Great yarn. Thank you. We'll we'll talk again. We'll get a few more in. Well, uh, over the next few months, we're going to do a uh, we're going to do a podcast. Try and do one a month. Yep. To start with, try and ramp it up a little bit more if we can. But uh, man, we've got tons of mates that we can we can have great stories. Oh, we need to bring them in. Yes. By the time I get around to seeing you again, you'll probably have done another movie. So let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be lovely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. You're welcome, guy. Thank you very much.